You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Wednesday to you. It's time for Herd Mentality, the episode each week where you take control of the discussion by sending me your takes, questions, comments, whatever you have regarding the Buffalo Bills, and I respond to them here on the podcast. As a reminder, you can have your item addressed on an episode of Herd Mentality by shooting me a DM on Twitter at the Joe Marino or an email, joe at thedraftnetwork.com. Let's start with Nick. Nick says, I hadn't really heard anyone bring up wide receiver to the Bills at 30 until you brought up Elijah Moore, and I keep coming back to that in my head now, so thanks for that. I totally understand your point about the Bills keeping their fastball and planning for wide receiver of the future, but I'm curious how you see the wide receiver room playing out if they did go more in round one. Obviously, Diggs, Beasley, Sanders, and Davis are roster locks. I would think McKinsey is too with his experience in the system. In this hypothetical, obviously Moore gets the sixth spot. Do you think they keep a seventh wide receiver like Hodgins or Kumaro? Is McKinsey not as much of a lock as I think? I think this is a really good question because you have quite the logjam of wide receivers if the Bills draft one at 30 or at any point in the draft. And it's a good problem to have. Like Nick alluded to, they typically keep six wide receivers. And you look at this group right now, and Diggs, Beasley, Gabriel Davis, Emmanuel Sanders, and Isaiah McKenzie are the top five that you would think on the depth chart. That six one would obviously be Elijah Moore. And that doesn't leave room for a Jake Kumaro or an Isaiah Hodgins or a Duke Williams or a Tanner Gentry. So things would definitely be tight when it comes to the wide receiver core this year. Perhaps they would be open to keeping seven wide receivers if they felt like they needed to have a bigger bodied guy like a Kumaro or a Duke Williams or they wanted that special teams ability of a Kumaro or they think Isaiah Hodgins has earned a roster spot. You know, they could keep three tight ends instead of four. They can keep two quarterbacks. Remember last year, they rostered Matt Barkley, Josh Allen, and Jake Fromm. So I think there are some opportunities within their roster structure that if they're willing to make an exception, I understand that typically they've kept six wide receivers. You know, if they thought it would be worth it, I think there's ways to make that happen within the structure of the typical roster thresholds that they normally keep. A lot can change quickly in the NFL due to injuries. And whether that's OTAs or preseason or training camp, whatever you have, a position of strength and depth can quickly be stressed by one injury. And so on one hand, there's a chance that it gets sorted out on its own. You hope that doesn't happen, but football is a physical game and people get hurt. So I think you have a way to navigate this situation this year, keeping in mind It could take care of itself, hopefully not, but there's a chance. And it's definitely something where you're going to need those talented options in 2022. So I definitely am in on the idea of the Bills staying ahead of the need 
and selecting a wide receiver at pick 30 if the right guy is on the board. And I certainly think Elijah Moore from Ole Miss is a perfect fit. Tyler says, I saw this question posted to Twitter by Joe DiBiase of WGR and Locked On Sabres and wanted your opinion on it. If the Bills' next four years were a mere image of the Eagles' past four, would you take it? Starting with Trubisky winning the Super Bowl and ending with Josh Allen losing all confidence and being traded away and now being in a similar position that the Eagles are in now. Would you take that deal? P.S. I know we've all gotten the scouting reports on your daughter, but how was her official pro day? Make up some events and let us know how she did. So let's talk about this proposition. Would I sign up for the Bills next four years to mirror what happened in Philadelphia? It means you get a Super Bowl win. And I'd do a lot for a Super Bowl win. It's guaranteed. I think we're all thinking to ourselves as Bills fans that we sure as heck hope the Bills win a Super Bowl in our lifetime. And if I sign up for this four-year span of what happened in Philadelphia, I get that. That's a great box to check. But is the alternative just accepting what would happen naturally? the team continuing to develop and grow and evolve because I'm not ruling out the possibility that in the next four years, the Bills not only win the Super Bowl, but have sustained success and don't have the disastrous situation that happened with Carson Wentz happen to Josh Allen. So while I would love to guarantee a Super Bowl in the next four years, I think there's a good chance that it happens in addition to not having to deal with the fallout and the disaster that has become the Philadelphia Eagles replicating itself in Buffalo. So because the alternative looks pretty good to me, and I still think there's a good chance at a Super Bowl, I'm not taking it. I'm not taking the deal. As for Rebecca Jean's pro day, four things really stood out. She was tops in the class for the amount of blueberries consumed within a five-minute span. She loves blueberries. She demonstrated elite climbing ability. I saw this 15-month-old kid use my dog as a step stool to climb on top of a chair that she couldn't normally reach because he was laying in front of it, and now my dog was an accessory to the crime. She loves to climb stairs. She loves to climb anything that she can get her hands on. And I know that's probably true for a lot of babies, but Rebecca Jean is about some climbing. She showed a lot of consistency in terms of playing above her weight class. My daughter is very small. She's in the 25th percentile for height and weight, but she plays big. She's fearless, and you would never know that she's a petite little girl. She plays above her weight class. And she has elite crawling speed. She's 15 months old. She doesn't walk yet. She can stand. She can take a step. But she doesn't string together those steps. And she um, winds up just crawling. She goes down on her knees and crawls. And she can get around really quick. So she probably doesn't see the need to walk other than she recognizes it's how everyone else gets around. But she's very talented at crawling. and, And she can scoot. She can boogie. She can cover some ground with that crawling speed. 
Nicole says, hey, Joe, wanted to throw a draft question your way. I saw a video clip of Kellen Mond at Texas A&M's Pro Day recently. I had completely forgotten about him with all the hype around Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, and Mac Jones. What are your thoughts on Mond, and do you think he's being overlooked in terms of quarterbacks in the 2021 draft? Bills-related side note, I was very intrigued with what you said on today's podcast about Elijah Moore from Ole Miss being a contender for the Bills at pick 30. I watched him here and there this past season, and this dude is a stud. I would not be upset if that was the pick at all. I'd be more into this pick at 30 than Travis Etienne. Hot take? You might feel the same way since you're not big on taking running backs in the first round. I think Bill's Twitter would have a meltdown, though. All right, so this is fun. Let's let's deal with the, the second half of that first, and then we'll talk about Kellen Mond. I would much rather have Elijah Moore than Travis Etienne at pick 30. And I don't think I, I don't think that should be a hot take. Maybe it is. I need to put out a poll. I'm going to put out a poll on Wednesday after the podcast releases on the Lockdown Bills Twitter account, at Lockdown Bills, and I want to hear from you guys. Vote on which player you would rather have at pick 30 between Clemson running back Travis Etienne and Ole Miss wide receiver Elijah Moore. That'll give me some good perspective on the way you guys feel about that idea. For me, it's more, and I'm not thinking twice about it. So back to the original question about Kellen Mond and where he fits into this quarterback class. I like Kellen Mond. If I was going to pick a quarterback on day two, I'd be targeting Kellen Mond. Think about the Eagles with Jalen Hurts and picking him right at about pick 50, 51, something like that. Now he's their starting quarterback. I think Kellen Mond gives you a chance to get a player like that, that if you're not completely convinced with your starting quarterback, you can draft him, and he's got tools. He's a guy that can make all the throws. He's athletic. I think he's a worthwhile developmental option that has starter ability. I'm not counting on that. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that he's going to be a steal and turn into an upper echelon starting quarterback. But on day two, if I want to take a swing on on a quarterback, Kellen Mond would be the one that I'd want to have. So he would be my day two target if I missed out on a quarterback in the first round. Think about teams like the Chicago Bears, the Washington football team the New Orleans Saints, the Pittsburgh Steelers, those types of teams that are in no man's land when it comes to getting one of those top five quarterbacks, even toss the New England Patriots into that. Those are the teams that should be thinking about Kellen Mond in the second round or the third round to give them a swing, right? A swing at, at a potential starter. That That's what I would be thinking if I were one of those teams. Need to tell you guys about Built Bar. It's the best tasting protein bar on the planet and they have so many amazing flavors. Some of my favorites are the orange, apple, almond, crisp, lemon, almond, cheesecake is good, caramel, brownie. I love cookies and cream. They're all great, and they're all covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew. It's like a candy bar that's disguised as a protein bar, but it's good for you. Built Bars are great for anyone who is health conscious. Whether you want to lose weight, maintain weight, or just indulge in a delicious treat, you got to try Built Bars. They're low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, and perfect for anyone who is on the keto diet. Got a deal for you. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your next order. Again, that is code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Next one today comes from Ken, who says, 
Important herd mentality question for you that will never happen, but I wonder about this every year. If something happens, injury, gas mask, what have you, where you watch every team in front of you pass on Trevor Lawrence or any other quarterback, would you take a quarterback at 30? What about the second or third round? I just controlled every team except the Bills in the mock draft machine on the draftnetwork.com to set up the scenario, and Mock Bean wouldn't even take Lawrence at pick 93. I think he might be worth taking a flyer on. So two comments regarding this, Ken. If this were a real-life situation where Trevor Lawrence was on the board at pick 30, something really bad happened. It wasn't just an injury. It wasn't just a gas mask. Something huge happened. I recently had a conversation with an NFL scout. And we talked about character concerns and how teams handle them and what they do. How do they process that information and how does it affect their willingness to draft the player? And this is what he said to me. He said, Joe, these prospects with character red flags, they're either going to play for you or they're going to play for somebody else. But either way, they're going to play. And you have to live with that. So do you want them on your team or do you want to play against them? Just some food for thought. So if Trevor Lawrence got to pick 30, it wasn't wasn't something small. It was something huge that 29 other teams passed on him. So I'd I'd have to ask myself some hard questions on that. Now, as far as your scenario that you created with the mock draft machine, We have it set so that the Bills don't draft a quarterback because it's not a need, right? They have Josh Allen. They have Mitchell Trubisky. They have Jake Fromm. They have Davis Webb. We don't see the Bills drafting a quarterback, so we put it in terms of our programming. We put it as do not draft, and that's one of the fun things about the mock draft machine is we have built into every team tendencies and things that you know we think will and won't happen. For example, you're probably not going to be able to execute a trade with the Dolphins, Jets, or Patriots. We have it set so that division teams really don't trade with each other. Dave Gettleman with the New York Giants has never traded back in the draft. So we have it set so that the Giants won't trade back. Other teams that don't really move up or down, we have you know different parameters set that make those opportunities less likely for for teams that don't really move. So we try to create a very realistic experience for you, not just with the order of the players and team needs, but you know within team tendencies as well over on the mock draft machine at thedraftnetwork.com. Paul says, last year, AJ Epinesa seemed to be a surprise pick by Brandon Bean, mainly because from most reports, he just did not fit the description of an edge defender that Bean seemed to like. Who are a couple of players in this year's draft that at first glance you would take off Bean's board due to them not having the prototypical traits that Bean has shown to covet at their position, but have the skills that can't be ignored if they experience a fall down the board? All right, so I have two things for you here. It's a good question. I like this one. Number one, and there's probably a joke to be made here, but an athletic cornerback, a guy that can run, a guy with elite speed and loose hips. Obviously, we know that 
Brandon Bean likes to draft aggressive, scrappy corners that tackle and have good length. But what about a guy that can turn and run in man coverage? A guy like Eric Stokes from Georgia. So, number one would be an athletic corner. Number two, I'll give you a specific player, and it's one we've talked about several times here. Georgia edge defender Aziz Ojolari. He's 6'2", 249, with 34 and 3 eighth inch arms. Not necessarily a guy that you say, oh yeah, 4-3 defensive end all day long. But if Jerry Hughes can thrive in Sean McDermott's defense, so can Aziz Ojolari. And Jerry Hughes checks in at 6'2", 255, with 33 inch arms. So the same height, Hughes has got 6 pounds on him, and Ojolari has longer arms by over an inch. So don't tell me Ojolari can't play in this defense. The next one today comes from Nick, and Nick has baked in a lot of different questions into his submission today. So I want to kind of break it up and address things as they come up within uh, his overall submission. So he starts off by saying, your excellent explanation on gap versus zone blocking schemes left me with some questions on how they fit with the Bills' offensive scheme and personnel. Which blocking scheme do you think is best suited for our current offensive line? From your descriptions, I get the impression that Dawkins, Morse, and Williams might be best suited for zone blocking, while Ford and Feliciano may be better gap players. So we'll stop there. I agree with you, Nick. You don't look at the collection of players that the Bills have on the offensive line and immediately identify what blocking scheme the Bills want to run. Mitch Morse is definitely a zone blocker. I think Dawkins and Williams, I I can make the case that they're pretty interchangeable. I'm comfortable with them in either scheme, but Ford and Feliciano are gap blockers. So you have definitely a mix of skill sets when it comes to the collection of talent the Bills have on the offensive line. But overall, I would say collectively they favor gap blocking. Nick continues to say, which scheme do you think is best suited for our current stable of running backs? I think Breida's success came from a wide zone scheme. Singletary and Moss have good vision but lack foot speed. Does speed have anything to do with which scheme a back is best suited for? So I think that Singletary and Moss can do either gap or inside zone running, and Breida is more of a wide zone runner. Foot speed does play into things a little bit, But one thing that I don't like is the stereotype that backs that have good foot speed and lateral quickness um, and speed to the perimeter, that they're just wide zone runners. Sometimes they're not because they don't have vision and decision-making ability. So don't just watch a running back that you think is really athletic and elusive and say, oh, yeah, zone runner. No, zone puts more stress on them to have vision. If they don't have vision – that they're not going to it doesn't matter how fast they are they have to play in a gap blocking scheme so that those tracks are identified for them so i think it does matter but don't don't always assume that because the guy is elusive that he's a zone runner nick continues to say our running game was inefficient last year what blocking scheme did the bills use most in 2020 and do you see dable making major changes given what we learned and having largely the same personnel 
I think it's interesting that there's been a big shift in the style of runs that the Bills have employed over the last two seasons. So I know you asked about 2020, but I want to mention 2019 as well. That way we can get a, a better picture on what they want to do. In 2019, the Bills ran 226 gap runs and 125 zone runs. So 226 gap, 125 zone in 2019. In 2020, they had 117 gap and 183 zone. So a significant decrease in gap and a significant increase in zone. They are trending towards zone running. And many people think that was a big reason why Quentin Spain was let go because he's not a guy that has that foot speed to work laterally on zone runs. He's a gap blocker. So the data indicates that they want to be a more zone-heavy team. And when you think about the addition of Matt Breida and the continuation of Mitch Morse at center, where some people thought he was done in Buffalo, he could be a cap casualty, I think those are signals that the Bills want to employ more zone runs. The last question from Nick is related to offensive schemes. He said, I remember a discussion that you had earlier this winter on how Brian Dable employs the Earhart Perkins offense, which has the advantage of being able to continually grow upon itself with the disadvantages that it is complex and hard to master. I was wondering if you could talk briefly about the offensive systems most widely used in the league. What are their defining characteristics, advantages, and disadvantages? So there are four main offenses, passing offenses that you see in the NFL. One is the Earhart Perkins, which the Bills employ. It is concept-based. It is a situation where you can have a variety of formations, a variety of personnel groupings, and run the exact same concept with different personnel groupings and different formations because it is concept-based. It is adjusting on the fly. It is reading coverage and running your route accordingly. And it puts a lot of stress in the communication between the quarterbacks and the receivers. But also, the real advantage is that you can line up with different formations and run the same play. So you are dressing things up differently, but you're doing the same stuff conceptually. Like if you want to run dagger or mesh or whatever passing concept you want, you can align guys differently, but the concept is the same. So it it's, puts a lot on the mental processing of your quarterback and your receivers. The next one I'll mention is the West Coast offense. That is a rhythm and timing-based passing offense. Think Rick Dennison back with the Bills in 2017. Three-step drop, get the ball out of your hands. Typically, West Coast offenses don't feature dual-threat quarterbacks. They just want a, a point guard, someone that can hit his back foot, rip it, throw routes with timing, anticipation, quick trigger type stuff. The next one I'll mention is the Air Coriel. Think about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with this. This is a vertical passing game. You want to push the ball down the field. Your route concepts are designed for the deep ball. Five, seven step drops from your quarterback, ripping it down the field. And now we're seeing more and more spread offense, 10 personnel, 
spacing, horizontals type stuff, things like what the Arizona Cardinals do, what the Carolina Panthers are doing. To some extent, there are some elements of the spread in the Buffalo Bills offense. So those are the main ones. West Coast, Earhart Perkins, spread, and Air Coriel. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, MLB, and NHL seasons are in full swing. Bet online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV, and they have real-time updated odds and props on almost anything that you can imagine. Bet online has you covered for all the new scores and odds, and it's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head on over to their website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit when you use our promo code locked on. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Next one today comes from Karen, who says, I heard the Bills have met with Ohio State defensive back Sean Wade a couple of times. He had a tough season this year on the outside. Do you see him as a safety transition? Or do you think he can play slot corner in the NFL? So let's talk about Sean Wade. He, like Karen said, I mean, this dude had a rough, rough season. Giving up big plays down the field. Didn't seem comfortable in coverage. You felt like his confidence was shook. And he was supposed to be the next big thing for Ohio State at corner. He was a pretty good slot defender for them, but obviously... They, he was buried on the depth chart behind you know Jeff Akuda and Damon Arnett, a couple of first-round picks. And those guys obviously got drafted, and so this year was his big season to shine at outside corner, and he did not. He regressed tremendously. So I think with Sean Wade, we do have to acknowledge that it's not going to work at outside corner. So like Karen mentioned, it's either slot or it's safety. And maybe it's a hybrid, kind of both. Play him as a split zone safety, two high type looks, and then give him opportunities to play situationally in the slot when you like a specific matchup. But I'll say this. Sean Wade played at a level this past year that I'm completely uncomfortable with. He would be a target for another team. I would let some other team make that investment and move on without investing in Sean Wade and trying to figure out where to play him because he really, really struggled. Jeff says, I've always wondered how people become NFL scouts. Is there a certain degree that the organization looks for? Are they former coaches? Or are they just tape nerds that have a passion for the game? I think it's a lot of what you just said. So many times with people that get NFL scouting gigs, it's because they know somebody or they started off as a an assistant or an intern in the communications department and they just kind of keep working their way up. I do think there is a lack of training that sets scouts up for success. These guys are typically interns and scouting assistants that spend their time splicing together cut-ups for the you know, the scouting staff or doing administrative type work. And if you stick with it long enough and you show you're willing to grind, maybe you get a chance to be an area scout. But I think it's more connections, working your way up within the organization, potentially being a graduate assistant at a university, 
and getting a recommendation from somebody, it's definitely a people and relationship business. Personally, I've had a couple different opportunities to pursue an NFL scouting opportunity and I passed. My goal has always been on the media side. I've always wanted to do exactly what I'm doing. NFL scouts have a very glamorous title, but they do not have a very glamorous life. They're pretty much just driving around their region, watching football practice, taking notes, digging into background stuff, talking to people around the program about you know what their character and work ethic and grades are like. And it has very little to do with their ability to evaluate them as players. So they spend all their time driving around trying to find background information just to hand that over to the front office, you know, the higher ups, the general manager, assistant GM, director of scouting, personnel directors, coaches, and then they're going to do whatever they want to do with the player. I'm sure it matters a little. But I've heard so many NFL scouts tell me that their voices just aren't heard. They're just out there doing the grunt work, getting all this background info. As part of that, they do a write-up on the player. But then it's ultimately up to the general manager and his front office and the coaches in terms of stacking the board and picking players. And NFL scouts don't get paid very much. It's pretty low salary for a lot of time on the road and away from your family. So I like what I'm doing, and I'll I'll continue to pass on NFL scouting opportunities that come my way. The last one today comes from Vin, and this is a fun one. He said, I was wondering if you could give us some draft names for some guys that you think could be high risk, high rewards for each round that the Bills could target. Maybe if you did a mock targeting players like that. So that's exactly what I've done. I have assembled a Buffalo Bills seven-round mock draft that features high-risk, high-reward players. Guys that have some tools, but they're underdeveloped. So here it is. I use the mock draft machine, of course, over at thedraftnetwork.com, and this is what I got. At pick 30, we went with Penn State edge rusher Jason Oway. Talked about him quite a bit here recently. He is super raw as a football player but he's super dynamic as an athlete. I mean, unbelievable athleticism. 260 pounds, and he runs in the four threes. He's a pup. He's a pup on the field, but my goodness, does he have some crazy athleticism. So that is my first swing, a big one here in the first round. At pick 61, I'm going with Tyson Campbell, cornerback from Georgia. He's got size, length, athleticism. He's really fluid. I mean, you just don't see guys with his size move like he does. He's a rare dude, but man, does he struggle in coverage sometimes. He has a hard time finding the ball in the air, and he is super guessy when he's mirroring routes, and he gets himself in trouble. He gets twisted up quite a bit. Doesn't have very natural coverage instincts. So the athletic package is there. The physical package is there. The football application is not. Big swing with Tyson Campbell in the second round. Third round, we go Spencer Brown, offensive tackle from Northern Iowa. He has crazy size. I mean, he's super long and tall, and he's a small school guy, and he's got some really impressive moments on tape, but I think he's really raw, a guy that you're going to have to rework his pass sets and really clean up some work with his hands. Like Technically, he's got a lot of work to do. Big-time project, but 
Like you said there, Vin, high risk, high reward. At pick 161, we're going with Stanford wide receiver Simi Fajoko. Man, this guy hasn't played a lot of football. He hasn't caught a lot of passes, but he is tall, he's big, he's powerful, and he's really explosive. And his highlight reel is unbelievable with some of the plays he makes down the field. But man, does he have some terrible drops. And he's super underdeveloped as a route runner. So you got a ball of clay here. Really good explosiveness and really great size. He's one of those height, weight, speed mismatches. But my goodness, he's underdeveloped as a wide receiver. At 174, we're going with Javian Hawkins running back from Louisville. He's not a very natural runner. And he's not very big. He's quite small. You can fit him in your pocket. But this dude is explosive. So you give him the ball in space, I think he can make things happen. But he's got an uphill climb to help a football team as a traditional running back, you know, pounding the rock between the tackles and, you know, showing that ability to win outside of space. And for a little guy with speed, you kind of wish he was more natural as a receiver. So this is a buy-in to the home run ability that he can become something meaningful in the NFL. At pick 213, I went with a quarterback, Jamie Newman from Wake Forest. Man, he's underdeveloped, but he's got size, dual threat ability. He's got a big arm. I don't expect much out of him, but again, we're taking we're taking swings here. And as part of that, I had to get myself a toolsy quarterback to work with. And then the last pick is at 236 overall, Jordan Scott, defensive tackle from Oregon. This guy is as wide as he is tall. I mean, he's like a, a, a freezer. You ever seen one of these freezers that you put a bunch of meat in and you put it in your garage and you, you kind of lift up the top and, and you put things down in there? It's real wide, kind of short, stubby. I mean, this guy's got a really strange body type, but he plays the game with a lot of enthusiasm. He's got natural leverage. He's tough to move. And as a developmental one tech late in the draft, I'll take a swing. I'll take a swing in this scenario. So in all likelihood, I would probably not do anything that I just outlined. But the experiment was to take high-risk, high-reward players in each round, and that's exactly what I did. All right, folks, that'll do it for us today here on the podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. We have some fun stuff prepared the rest of the week. I have a guest for you tomorrow on the podcast. I'm looking forward to that, getting another perspective in here when it comes to all this draft discussion. So don't miss it. Make sure you're subscribed, rate, review, and share the podcast. And I look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.